Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 48 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 48, uh, we are extremely excited for several reasons. The first and foremost of which is uh, Scott just upgraded or recently upgraded his microphone. So he is in super, super NPR mode. So even better than like the previous NPR modes of recent yore. Uh, we also have a district meet number two update uh, coming up here in just let's see, four days or something like that. Yikes, it's pretty soon. Uh, this is going to be over at Madras, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're also going to do our Hebrews chapter 9 uh, chapter in review in terms of studying and strategies behind it in prep for the upcoming meet. I've got a very short CBQZ version next update in terms of how things are progressing, but we really want to spend the bulk of our time talking about district meet strategies at this sort of stage in the district meet you know, schedule. So we've got five meets overall. And so we want to talk about at district meet number two, what are some strategies for individual uh, pointers or individual average improvement? And what are some strategies for a team going into district meet number two? So with that, let's uh, kick it off and we'll start talking about district meet number two. So it is coming up like just a few days away, like three or four days away. It starts on Friday and over into Saturday, November 22nd, 23rd. It's going to be at Madras Free Methodist Church and of course the lovely town of Madras. We were talking, I think, a, a last podcast a couple weeks ago about weather minimums in terms of like, it, we were potentially worried about some snow as an issue. Well, we're getting a fair bit of really ugly weather right now in the Pacific Northwest, but it's all wet. It's not icy unless you're really, really high up. It's not snow necessarily if you're really high up. It's a lot of wet. However, that is going to stop on Wednesday. And so Wednesday is actually going to be like theoretically entirely sunny over maybe some morning fog, but it'll be entirely sunny throughout most of the Pacific Northwest. We'll get a little bit of clouds uh, in the Puget Sound area, Portland area on a little bit on Thursday and Friday, but not all that much to speak of. And the rain comes back uh, late Saturday evening. So that being said, I think we're going to be completely fine in terms of weather minimums for Madras. That being said, if you are driving back home from Madras and you are going into, say, the central or northern Puget Sound area, you might pick up some uh, rain, uh, maybe a little bit of freezing conditions uh, later on that evening, maybe. But I don't I don't think so. So um, I think it's going to be a, a pretty nice uh, situation. That being said, if you are concerned about snow on the roadways, uh, I recommend taking the alternative route through the Dalles. Uh, and of course, uh, it, well, actually it's not, of course, but because of the weather conditions, uh, Xander and I are actually going to be flying there. Uh, so I think it's going to be a really awesome commute. And of course, I'm very much looking forward to the meet. It'll be great to see everybody coming, uh, back and, uh, fellowshipping and quizzing together. And uh, I do actually have a couple of uh, brief announcements that I just thought of. The first of which is we actually found a host for our District 3 meet. Uh, it's going to be held at North Seattle Alliance Church, NSA, of course, just north of Seattle. And uh, very excited about that coming up. That's going to be the January meet. 
and there was another announcement. Oh, that's right. We are we we do have a couple of different churches that are currently not quizzing that are looking at PNW quizzing as an opportunity to spread the awesomeness of quizzing into their church, into their uh, either youth programs or their uh, family programs, Bible study programs, and so forth. And so I'm very excited about that. Nobody's really fully pulled the trigger yet, but we have some very productive conversations going on right now with a couple of churches and uh, hopefully that turns into something in the near future. All right, so with that let's jump into Hebrews chapter 9 and uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on chapter 9? So I think chapter 9 is really where we get into um some difficult parts of Hebrews to memorize. Uh, chapter 9 has lots and lots of repetition and it does not have a lot of PNW key material. Um sorry, PNW key verses. So let's see here, one, two, and then right at the end, five. So only seven out of the 28 verses are designated as key verses, which could mean that it is um, a low, lowly, lowly memorized chapter. It's the last chapter of the Meads New Material, um, and there's a small number of key verses, and it's a decently long chapter. Is it the longest chapter in Hebrew so far? I think it's just longer than chapter seven. Yeah, I think you might be right. So um, it does have a really nice mix of unique material from global unique to chapter unique to key for unique phrases all the way down to chapter verse reference kind of material. So, and actually there's a lot of, lot of global unique words up at the beginning. So it's hard to know how to attack this depending on um, your aspirations as a quizzer, but Let's say you haven't looked at it at all for whatever reason. I think it is definitely worth reading through it. So just purely reading through it, but carefully. Because at the beginning, there's a lot of global unique words that could be the basis for very, very short interrogative questions. Like gold jar of mana, what jar, or what jar of mana. Um, Gold covered what, Ark of the Covenant. So just like really short stuff that you can just pick up because – You've read through it, and other people might not have. Um, some chapters don't really lend themselves to those sorts of really short interrogative questions, and so there's less to be gained from just one read-through. Um, but I, there always seems to be questions that pop up that are no jumps or jumped on quite slow. And if you've read through it, you can see like, oh, washings, various ceremonial washings, um, external what, regulations. Uh, you could pick up quite a bit um, and surprise yourself. Once you get into the latter parts, there's a lot of, um, I guess, kind of talk about sacrifices and blood. And when you see those sorts of repetitions, again, it can be very easy to mix up the passages and go into a different passage, which is bad if you're quoting a key verse. Um, It's bad if you're trying to get a a chapter verse reference question. So just some extra time spent um, looking at all the references to blood or the law or death or died or covenant. Um, there's just a lot of those sorts of, um, I guess, repetitions while I'm being repetitious. What say you, Griffin? I had very similar feelings to you. So uh, kind of echoing what we talked about in the last podcast, chapter nine of the chapters that are in the 50% of the, the material 
for this upcoming meet, uh, chapters uh, seven, eight, and nine. Nine is generally going to be the the chapter that is the least well prepared relative to the other chapters by everybody else on average, right, across the meet, which means nine is a great opportunity if you're trying to eke out a little bit of an edge. Uh, and obviously, you know, I, I encourage everybody to try to memorize as much as they can. Memorize everything. You're going to be in much uh, a much better position. And certainly review everything. You'll be in a much better position. But if you are tight on time, uh, review nine maybe just a little bit more. So for a couple of the reasons uh, that I just said, uh, because it's going to be a chapter that everyone else on average is going to be just a hair bit slower. And for the reasons that Scott just mentioned, there's going to be some jumps on chapter nine that are going to be f pretty fast. There's a lot of opportunities for some very quick, you know, syllable, couple syllable jumps on these. There's also going to be a lot of opportunity for some fairly creative chapter reference questions. Uh, so Scott, what do you think about, you know, not, uh, 920, he said what? Um, that is a perfectly valid chapter reference question. To me, it's... Um, I don't know how great it's testing something. Um, I might want to find something that I consider to be stronger. Um, like, let's see here. I think in the same way, what is going to be a great basis for a chapter reference question from 921. Um, how, about yeah, verse 22? Lead... how about verse 22, in fact what? Yep, that's a great one. Let's see about the law requires. The law requires what? Um, yeah. That's a great one. And th the fact that those two um, are both valid as chapter references means you got to do the quote backwards trick if you're a reference quizzer, and then you can always know which one it's going to be. And both of those would be uh, chapter reference, not chapter verse reference. So generally speaking, we usually don't jump into the going backwards on chapter only references, but this would be one where it's very important. Actually, two that well, would be very important. Um, you're you make a good point because if it's a chapter reference, no one should be jumping before at least one syllable has been read. And so then you'll hear if it's in or the, um, and on chapter references, you definitely want at least two syllables. And so once you've heard the start of the question, you know that the, the quiz master's question is starting there. Um, yeah. so yeah. you're right on chapter references. You don't have to quote backwards. Yeah. I mean, I know that there are some question writers who like to write, interrogatives that are key very fast and are also very short and as much as possible i will not force those but i think this chapter just has phrases that lend themselves to to those sorts those sorts of things so like scarlet and wool are both global unique words so you could write scarlet what or what wool and you're not really going to write something like scarlet wool and what branches of hyssop that's almost more awkward to to throw in that next thing or um there was another one that I had here. Oh, bran branches of hyssop, right? Well, you're going to say branches of what? Um, so can it be a very short question? The answer is hyssop. Um, there's not really another way to write it to include more, more material, but also have it be kind of flowing. And um, yeah, so I think, I think there's lots of opportunity to get quote unquote really easy interrogative questions from this chapter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I generally tend to... I, I, I try to stay away from, you know, typical formulaic sort of questions. And, and that's, that's not the right word. Um, similar pattern questions, right? So you talked about like a short question, a short answer. I tend to 
if that's a pattern, I try to mix up patterns as much as possible. But that being said, I tend to find myself really loving the short question, long answer sort of format. And I, and I try not to like dwell on that one, but I love the, you know, it's, it's key in a couple of syllables or so, but the amount of information required to answer it is like the rest of the verse or something like, like I love, and I'm not going to, again, just like you, I'm not going to force it. I'm going to kind of go with whatever the text is sort of speaking me to it's sort of like you're you're carving a question out of uh, a wood right you know you the the tree already knows what sort of piece of furniture it's going to be the verse already has the questions in it and it's sort of where we're carving away sections to turn into this uh into the question but uh i i sort of like that um question for you so hebrews nine nineteen multiple answer together with what yeah, water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop. Um, let me just verify. But it's a, it would have to be a chapter reference. It would, because Together With appears in three other chapters. So, yeah. um, And even though every other place, to, you could not write Together With what, they would all be Together With whom's, the fact that the, the possible interrogatives of the other occurrences of Together With um, is not what does not make this then key, right? Because right. the interrogative word is not part of the material and we can't use it as the basis for, you know, I mean, it's, it is not part of a completed unique word or phrase. So, um, is there anything explicit in the, so number one, I completely and totally agree with you. Um, is there anything in the rule book that explicitly says the interrogative cannot cause a question to become key? No, but, and this is coming from the top of my head, I believe if you pair together um, validity of a question, which is a completed one, two, or three word unique phrase, and then when unique phrases are defined, I think it refers to them as like sequential words from the material, and I think that would ex exclude the inserted interrogative word. Yeah, true. Yeah, I agree. So it probably, agree. now, there are things that while I don't think that they're in the rule book make sense kind of like I've heard there was one district who let's say um, the blood of Christ appears twice in one chapter. Nowhere else in the chapter does it have the blood of anything. They will write that as a chapter reference because it's the exact same answer both times. I think that that is a little bit confusing to the quizzer, you know, when they should be directed to a single verse, even though if you kind of dig into the why do we have chapter verse reference questions, it's so that the quizzer is not confused by being given an ambiguous phrase that could be answered two ways. In this case, it's not ambiguous. It can only be answered one way, but you're kind of prepared mentally for something that does occur um, like twice in the chapter to be a chapter verse reference and not a chapter only reference. But I can understand why something like that was done. And so who knows, maybe there's a plate, some district that says the interrogative word can make it key or, um, this one's a CVR and this one's a CVRMA, so I'm, I'll make them a CR and a CRMA. I, at the end of the day, I think that's pretty confusing, but um, you could see the, I guess, logical basis for it. Yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah. Well, any other ideas on Chapter 9? I'm trying to think back. Um, chapter 9 does go into the 20s, but just barely. So you can definitely, um, in the very competitive levels of quizzing, jump aggressively on the chapter. There's not a whole lot of risk with being stuck with twent. Um, and mm, no, sorry, I hadn't scrolled down. There's actually yeah. 28 verses. So there is, a, there is a decent amount of risk and looking in the 
kind of 23, 24, 25 range. I think there's a good amount of CVRs in each of those verses. Um, sometimes if a verse is only 22 or 23 verses, if a chapter is only 22 or 23 verses long, one of those verses might have a ton of chapter verse reference questions so that you can just tell yourself, I'm going to jump like this chapter has less than 20 verses. And if I just get unlucky and get stuck with just the twent, I'll just guess this one verse number and, you know, be confident that I can then get it right if I get that little bit of luck. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let me uh, give a very brief uh, CBQZ version 2 update. And, of course, it's not really a version 2 update because CBQZ right now is in version 15. It's like 15.10 or something like that. Or, no, it's 15.13 right now is the current version. Uh, but what I mean by V2 is sort of like this big, giant redo of everything that I've been working on. Uh, basically, I've been working on what's called Spikes, in uh, software engineering where I'm uh, basically testing out new functionality across a whole host of different browsers and making sure the theory works. And so far, uh, just a little bit earlier today, got it, uh, got some of these spikes working together in terms of, uh, you know, being able to load up the application in your browser once, literally go offline and everything will just continuously work indefinitely until you get connected back online. And then any changes or edits to any questions that you that you've made or any quiz data that you've done stat work that you've done all of that just gets synced up to the server once you get connected back online which is going to be a really 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 useful thing when we are quizzing at churches that have poor to very very poor uh wi-fi and so we'll we won't be sort of stranded uh if the wi-fi go goes down for a couple of minutes in fact if the wi-fi goes down for say five minutes it's entirely possible no one would even notice uh so it's very exciting <laughs> in terms of of keeping cbqz very or, or actually making it even more robust than it is and then of course uh, in the process of doing this we're going to be uh, advancing a lot of the functionality that's there as well. So it's going to be a work in progress. It's only November and the goal is to have it done hopefully sometime over the summer. I uh, might be able to have it done before internationals, but probably not. And we'll just kind of see how things progress. It's cool that quizzing deals with static kind of information. No one is like in the back room frantically writing additional quiz questions as a meet is happening. And so it's really only the, the secondary functionality of CBQZ that is cut off if you lose network connectivity, which is kind of real-time stat scoreboard and that kind of stuff. But the meet can totally go on without it because we just have our giant question set that doesn't change once the meet starts. And that's yeah. kind of cool that we can deal within those um, requirements. Yeah, yeah, it should be it should be pretty neat. I'm also building in kind of a notification thing. Um, so, you know, your favorite page, the meet status page, uh, I'm going to make a version of that that shows up in the status bar down below. So it won't have all the information, but it'll just have like in our district, we have four rooms. It'll list all four rooms and it'll just say like what the quiz number is and what question they're on. And that's it. Um, but in terms of like, if you're in room one and you want to know, like, you know, where's room three at, you can just glance down at the footer and boom, there you go. That is sweet. I love that. Especially as a uh, statistician. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you got to be careful about this. Pretty soon I'm going to put you out of a job uh, 
but because uh, the, the theoretically, uh, actually, you know what? Maybe I'll give you a job because um, I was going to say the, the the stats should get all calculated by themselves, but they're going to have to have the algorithms to calculate them. So I think I'm going to hire Scott to write the algorithms. You mean just how to you mean how to calculate stats given the raw yeah. data for a yeah, minute? Yeah, given the raw data, how to calculate stats and how to present the stats because that's the other thing, right? It's it's one thing to calculate it, but then it's another thing to actually present it in a few different ways. That's the most usable to, you know, uh, people from a, from an intuit intuitive perspective. Sure. That could be a fun, fun thing. All right. Well, with that out of the way, let's talk about district meet number two in terms of strategies. So we're talking both about uh, what you can do as an individual to kind of boost your average specifically at this upcoming meet, meet number two of five in the regular season. And then we'll also talk a little bit about team strategy. So let's start with individuals. Scott, if you were, let's say, a sophomore in high school and you were getting prepared you know, it's a, maybe four days away from showing up in Madras and you're the captain of a team or, you know, let's that's scenario one. But let's say you're also, you know, seat three of uh, a team coming into Madras. What are some strategies that you would be thinking about right now? So I'm a sophomore in high school, seat three on a team, right? Yes. In scenario Is that one. what you said? So by seat three, are you meaning to say the third best quizzer on the team? Yes. All right. So... Um, that would mean that I know some of the material, but probably not a majority of it. Um, I would want to understand what um, the top two quizzers on my team, what they are really, really good at, and see if there's something that's kind of a gap on our team. Um, maybe it's a specific question type. Maybe it's a specific chapter. Um, and I would try to fill in that gap as best I could. So let's say it's a question type. I would try to... Um, like if it's finish the verses or quotes, you know, pick a chapter and just start memorizing as many of the verses as you can, but make sure that whatever you do memorize, you memorize well before you move on. Um, because if you are in seat three, it's, I would feel very liberated because there's not a lot of pressure. There shouldn't be a lot of pressure on you. You're not expected to quiz out in every quiz. Um, that can be tough to be a top quizzer on a team because if you don't quiz out or especially if you air out um there's a good chance that your team does not win that quiz um and you likely know that going into every single quiz but if you're c3 um it's rare for a number three quizzer to be averaging a 20 we do have a couple pretty awesome teams this year and actually not just a couple we have at least four where the third quizzer is averaging at least a 20 but that's not usually the norm um, and if you get one question a quiz as the c3 quizzer you just it's incredible the lift that it gives the team and so just kind of setting your set your sights and your goals on only one question makes it seem a lot more manageable and then if you're filling in the gaps um, of your teammates it makes it even more manageable right you're not taking questions away from them um, they're probably super grateful for whatever you can do because they know that they're so weak in that area and then one thing that I found very handy is oftentimes the best teams have one quizzer who is very good at the key verse questions, but maybe doesn't know the whole material. And um, it can be worth it to merely prevent them from getting correct questions in finals, um, even if you are not expecting to get it right yourself. So um, it's been a very effective strategy for me in the past to just jump on um, – the specialty keyverse questions of that one-dimensional keyverse quizzer and basically um, hold them scoreless in a finals quiz 
because um, there might be a, the top quizzer on an opponent team, and either either I can't beat them or prevent them from quizzing out, or I just don't care to try. <laughs> um, and my time is better, is more efficiently spent preventing that one-dimensional quizzer from getting the questions in their one dimension that they're very, very good at. But if my goal is to just prevent them from getting it and their goal is to get them right, I have a much easier job of it. Um, and so that's that's definitely been an underutilized strategy that I've seen in finals. Um, and you can definitely get in there on a syllable and a half or something um, where maybe you have a very low percentage chance of getting the question right, but you're not just jumping on a mouth movement, which is borderline throwing the question on purpose. I'd argue that even then can't be you could still get it right. There's a lot of um, keepers questions that are gettable at that kind of a speed. But um, yeah, I think um, as that C3 quizzer, you have a, a ton of upside as um, the ways that you can help your team. And there's not a lot of downside because the team is probably very strong, even if you don't get anything. And I think that would be a fun role to play. Yeah, absolutely. I would like super underscore what Scott said about the opportunity for upside the the upside is really huge especially if you do it before question 15 if you can get one question between questions 1 through 15 especially if you're talking about like you know imagine teams are neck and neck it, you get into like question 10 11 let's say and somebody calls a timeout you come back in and on question 13 or 14 you get a third quizzer bonus that is such a huge big deal in terms of like certainly it helps with the score but it also there's a psychological thing that happens it like changes it changes the dynamic of the room. And if you can get that question even before, let's say, your first place quizzer quizzes out on that team, like it, I've, I've seen it just smack other teams like uh, hard. Like, like they just suddenly they're like, oh no, you know, um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to witness. And so, you know, if you're sitting there in, in seat three, you might feel like there, there's not that much I can contribute. There's no way I'm going to get a 90. Don't don't think that way. Even the one question, if it's at the right time, uh, can make a huge difference. And the downside is, you know, if you if you attempt it and, you know, it's like on question 13, you attempt it and it doesn't work out. It's really not a big deal. It, it really doesn't have any major downsides. It's kind of like, you know, it's like sad. It's like too bad you didn't make it, but it's really not the end of the world. And your team is probably not all that much worse off for your having tried. And the probability of of the, the the such huge value add that you can contribute to your team just necessitates that you give it a try, honestly. Yeah, the mental side is big because your team is not expecting you to get a question and or that might sound too harsh and I don't know what the strength of your number three quizzer is, but it's likely that you're averaging less than a 20. So your team's not expecting you to get one right and neither are your opponents. And if you get it, it's like free money to your team and it's um, just a killer to the other team because they're like, oh, we don't have to, like, not only do we have to beat the quizzers we expect it to have to be, we have to beat the other ones, too. And it's just, <laughs> it can be tough. Yeah. I remember there was one quiz. It was last year. It was at Dallas. And uh, I forget, I think it was Saturday morning sometime. And I won't mention the team, but there was one particular team that had a pretty good, not super great, but a pretty good captain. Um, a decent second chair, and they had five quizzers on their team, and the the they had all memorized right. And I wouldn't say that any of them were 
were really rock star quizzes or anything like that, but they had all put their time in. And what was beautiful is every single person on that team got a question right. Like they literally earned a fifth quizzer bonus in a, uh, uh, I think it was, I don't remember if it was prelims or brackets. It was probably brackets, but um, whatever quiz it was in, uh, fifth quizzer bonus. And like, they just destroyed that quiz. I mean, it was beautiful and it was fantastic to be able to see all five quizzers making a contribution and the, those kind of contributions, the third, fourth, and quiz, uh, fifth quizzer bonus are just huge, not just points wise, right? You know, certainly, you know, the extra 10 points on, on every, uh, you know, third, fourth, and fifth is, is phenomenal. But the psychological aspect of saying any one of these five people can get a question is just terrifying to the other team. Yeah, and especially the more competitive you get in quizzing, the higher levels, um, that sort of thing takes on an even stronger effect um, because que correct questions are way more scarce than they are in a district's prelims. Um, it reminds me of one year at internationals, um, we took second and our best quizzer or best, um, our highest scoring quizzer averaged a 26 and our fifth quizzer averaged a 12, which is just an incredibly tight band. And so like every quiz, it was like, Oh, which three or four of us are going to get about one question this quiz and then get a random bonus and just win with 140 or 150 like like clockwork. And it was very fun. It was not like, oh, if this one quizzer doesn't get three or four, then we're going to have a tough road here. It was like, oh, well, I just got to get one like every other quiz. And it's tons of fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So how would your strategy change then moving from, say, seat three to seat one? So imagine you're a junior in high school. You're the captain of a team. You're moving into district meet two. How are things a little bit different? And we're thinking about um, team strategy pointers at this point still. Well, uh, we've kind of been flipping back and forth. I mean, we started talking individual, but uh, I guess maybe both. But uh, like, let's start with the individual. How would things be different in terms of individual strategy and individual prep as a captain uh, moving into District Meet 2 as opposed to a non-captain? Um, it's hard to say. I When I quizzed, I had a very specific mindset, and that was... Um, individuals more important at the district level. I don't know how common that would be. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, from an individual standpoint, you want to examine how you did it and meet one. And if your score is less than you were hoping it would be, then that hopefully motivated you to put in a lot of extra study leading into meet two. But now your goal is to um, outscore your meet one score by a little or by a lot to set yourself up for meet three. Uh, to ideally get that low uh, meet one score thrown out. So if you had um, for you a disappointing score in meet one, you're, you're definitely behind the eight ball because you don't get any freebies anymore. And so it really starts with your preparation um, and have to have a solid plan of um, where am I, where are my strong points going to be? How, how do I need to study and prepare to be the best at a question type or a handful of question types? And then when you get to the meet, be disciplined about um, taking all the questions of those types uh, and hopefully scoring well because of it. And that, yeah, I think it's it's focus and excellence in um, a limited number of question types is really where you can score consistently and keep your risk down from um, errors. 
Would you ever employ any sort of strategies in terms of when you were jumping on questions in terms of like question number versus, or was it always a consistent, I'm just, I, you know, pick your tempo, whatever it happens to be, I'm going to jump on the second syllable off, off this particular question type or whatever it happens to be, whatever that strategy is, or would you adjust that and say, like, you know, for psychological effect or, or some other sort of strategy effect, uh, I'm going to intentionally slow down on certain questions here so I can pick up a question later, uh, or I'm going to pace myself, you know, how would you kind of read the room? Are there, were there times where you would intentionally sit on question one or versus, uh, you know, try to get say one, two, three, right up and up front or, you know, speak to that sort of idea. Sure. It's definitely going to depend on where your strengths are and how confident you are. But I would always try to prepare on enough types where the, where I knew that there was going to be more than four questions available for me to jump on. Um, but then I would just know, like, okay, if I jump at this syllable speed, like what percent of these jumps do I think I'm going to win, like in general? Um, is it 10% or is it like 90%? Um, and then if I win a good amount of jumps at this pace, do I think I've studied well to get them right? Because I didn't want to be jumping at a pace where I expected to get 50% accuracy, even if I won a lot of jumps, because I was trying to quiz out without air every single time. So I wanted to ideally jump at a pace that would win me five to seven jumps a quiz, um, but be at 90% accuracy and above so that I didn't need those last few jumps. And then wherever those questions came up in the quiz, I knew the speed that I was going to hit. And... I wasn't very good at modulating my jump speed based on the competition. Like I might have known like, oh, I'm against really good teams. So at this speed, I'm probably going to um, win fewer jumps or I'm against some weaker teams. I might win a lot of jumps and I could jump slower. It was just hard timing wise for me to slow my jump down by a syllable or whatever 25% was. And so I just kind of had a speed that I wanted to hit. Now that said, if, I mean, the pace at which question one of a quiz is jumped at oftentimes will set the pace of the quiz regardless of the um, ability or preparedness of those in the quiz. So there might be a case where question one was like right in my wheelhouse, but it was a special specialty, like a chapter verse reference multiple answer. And I knew that I could jump on a verse sh like mouth shape, but I wouldn't. I would kind of slow it down and kind of um, risk not winning the jump because I wanted to play the long game and keep the jumping speed slower in the quiz. But other than that, I didn't really care if I got questions two through five or if I got questions. I mean, if I got to question eight and didn't have one, and if I got to question 12 and didn't have two, I, I got nervous. So I was not good at being calm and confident in my preparedness. And so I would definitely start to get antsy if I hadn't hit those numbers. Um, there were other quizzers that were very comfortable, like, oh, I haven't gotten one until 15, but top quizzers going out and I know I know a lot. So I'm confident that I will quiz out still. I kind of, I sometimes would stray and try to get in on an interrogative if I could or something, um, if I wasn't hitting the numbers that made me feel comfortable. Yeah, as a coach, there was um, there were a couple of times when I was coaching where I had a quizzer who was um, internationals level and uh, actually top in the district at one point. And there was a um, there was a certain level of when you know we wouldn't employ this 
you know, typically in prelims, but when you're starting to get towards the end, as you're especially in in championships at a district level meet, uh, we would sometimes employ kind of the the same sort of idea that you were talking about, like intentionally slow down uh, on question one or even sit on question one and then come in to let the like basically to allow the pace to be slower and then to just get slightly faster than that pace. The other thing that that we loved to do was actually really tighten up the screws and jump on questions one and two and sometimes one, two and three and get every question and then sit. Because especially if we were doing it with um, teams that had very capable quizzers, if you nail questions one, two and three and you're absolutely right spot on on the syllable count in terms of key for the question, you're able to get questions one, two and three in a row and then you stop, It it's almost like you've pushed the accelerator pedal on the speed of quizzing down really hard and the momentum of the quiz kind of forces pre-jumps through to like question seven in a, in a way. And so, and then there's, you know, so you take that sort of effect and combine it with the, the effect of, but their number, their captain still hasn't quizzed out. Their captain can still jump on a question. And I've seen other teams uh, in the last couple, three years or so uh, at the uh, at the PN, PNW district level do something similar where there's a, uh, a captain who really has control over the material and is able to be that good to be able to basically control the pace of the quiz. And it's, it's such a fantastic... Um, uh, kind of exciting thing, goosebumpy kind of thing when you see a quizzer demonstrate that not only do they have the mastery of the material, they have the confidence that comes with that mastery to be able to then set the, basically in a sense to set the pace of the quiz and to control that pace and sort of bend it to their will. And it's it's a pretty cool thing. Yes, definitely. Like. I really haven't been like it sounds so fun, but I haven't been able to be in that situation because I was always chasing a ninety and wanted to protect that as best I could and not try to like play these games to get the other teams to air more because I just want to like how can I maximize my chances of getting a ninety? And then once I got into finals and I didn't, my individual score didn't matter. Well, oftentimes the teams in finals had quizzers that were not going to be baited if you know myself and a teammate went out fast on these first couple questions and so it just it wasn't going to work but there have definitely been times where i've seen a quizzer who is clearly the best quizzer in the district go out and like quiz one of finals you know by question five and i just want to find the coach and be like do you know what it does to other teams if they're just like lingering around in the quiz and everyone's like, well, I don't know when they're going to get a question, but I know that they will and I can't stop it. It's it's way more powerful than being gone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the case. And I mean, I, I don't want to mention names, but there was a couple of quizzers a couple of years ago where they I, I don't know if they did this intentionally, but they did this fairly frequently. And it was one of those things where they'd get you, not every quiz, but usually towards the championships where they would blitz out, a, you know, three questions in the first five. And then the fourth one would happen on question 17 or something. I mean, it was like way far down um, the list. Now, at the same time, they were also quizzing on teams where their second chair and even third chair were pretty good. And so, you know, it it, it kind of muddled the effect a little bit. But there is definitely 
a huge kind of whiplash moment to say like this person can be jumping on any question i don't know when it's going to happen and they're strategically picking their question in a way that that is like you know three-dimensional chess sort of thing going on and that that it's just a beautiful thing to watch as a as a spectator and as an official and as a coach and a, and really exciting uh to do as and be a part of as a quizzer yeah one thing that always frustrated me um regardless of the role that I was playing, was sometimes you would get a team in the district um, who didn't have a great grasp on the material but would just win a ton of jumps. And if you're in prelims, it often required you know, you to average about 140 to 160 a quiz in prelims to make top nine. And so if another team is just erring left and right, it can make it really difficult for you to hit that kind of a score. Um, and that always, I was like, oh, I don't know how to do this because you, you can't, Whatever role you're in, you can't tell another team, like, don't waste questions for other teams. Like, everyone's free to jump at whatever pace that they want. But on the flip side, I loved when teams would do this at, say, internationals, when merely winning a quiz and getting 10 points in prelims was great. Or once you're in semifinals, um, it doesn't matter what the score is. It just matters what the placement is. And those situations were really, really fun because I felt you could employ any sort of strategy without having to... Um, be held uh, captive to needing to score well. You just had to win. So like one year at internationals, we had the best quizzer at internationals. And so once we hit semifinals, I just had them win every jump on question one. I didn't really care the pace because even at a crazy fast pace, we were going to get some right. But if I could just force the other teams to um, increase their jumping speed, um, it was only going to be good for us. And those situations can be really, really fun if you are able to pull those, if you have the luxury of pulling those levers. Yeah, totally. Well, sort of what are some things we've been talking about things to consider? What are some things to consider not doing? Um, some strategies to avoid? What are some maybe some red herring strategies that you have encountered in your career, either, you know, as a quiz or a coach, uh, you know, district coordinator, official, whatever, what are some strategies that you think are things quizzers at any level should avoid? Um, I think in general, trying to cram in material at the last second does not work well because you often end up learning maybe a large amount of material, but only barely. And it often shows. You might win jumps and might say words and people are like, oh, like they're kind of in the right place, but you almost have no shot to get the question right. And that would frustrate me to no end. Like I would rather just never be able to win a jump than win jumps on material that I know 15% well, but not close to well enough to get it right. Um, and so, I mean, I think people can overwhelm themselves by like, oh, I had to memorize 90 new verses for this and the meet is three days away and I've memorized 15. And it's like, great, make sure you know those 15 and maybe try to memorize five or 10 more. And like, don't make it crazy, but say like, if I win a jump on one of these 15 to 25 verses, I will get it right. And that would be a very empowering thought, um, knowing that you have complete command of this material, however much of the material that it is. Um, what else? Well, let me say before you get to the second thing, I super agree. And I would, I would say in my own experience as a coach, we were, we had four teams one year and three of the four teams were really struggling. Um, people just, uh, didn't have a lot memorized. They were getting 
just no jumps, no questions. And what we did was we, I was near the beginning of the year, so the material was still fairly small, but we, it was after the first meet of the year, we had a, like a Saturday, you know, like a barbecue thing or hot dogs or something, I don't know, at, at my apartment. And we all sat down and memorized 10 verses consecutively together. And you think, well, 10 verses isn't that much. Well, for a lot of the folks who were participating in quizzing at that time in, in our teams, our, our, our other three teams, those 10 verses were all they knew moving into the next meet. Now, certainly none of them got 90s or anything, but every single person who was at that party who memorized those 10 verses got at least one question. And a couple of people actually got two questions throughout the course of the, the, the quiz meet. Now, in the grander scheme of things, is that a lot of points? No, it's a few number of points. But remember, if you're talking about a third you know, third or fourth chair quizzer, a third quizzer bonus, a fourth quizzer bonus, and you do that maybe once every two to three quizzes, that's still a huge, huge contribution. So, you know, just kind of kind of echoing what Scott said, don't cram. You're going to make things worse because things will leak out at the last minute, right? But whatever you know, review what you know and get really solid with that material. If it's 10 verses, if it's 15, if it's 20, get really, really good at those 10, 15 or 20 uh, before you move into the meet. Don't cram. Uh, and the sort of the set pairing off of that, one of the things that sort of more of a general do not go there kind of thing is there's no substitute for not memorizing, right? Uh, you can study the rule book, which is great. You can write questions, which is great. You can do all kinds of different sort of additional things, uh, which are good and useful, but will never really truly substitute for memorizing. So like, you know, if somebody's saying, you know, to me, Hey, you know, Gr coach Griffin, should I, you know, start writing questions or should I study the rule book? And I'm going to say, well, what have you got memorized? If you've got everything memorized and you feel pretty comfortable with it and you've reviewed it, then yeah, you can start writing questions as a way to review the material more, to get even more intimate with their material. Certainly you can review the rule book to get a little bit closer with that as well, but it all comes second to memorization. There just isn't a substitute for memorization. I would also say that um, there can be some balance that you can find with um, how you use question type lists. I think they are very, very underutilized by some and very overutilized by others. So if you don't know much material, a list is really no good to you, right? Because um, the lists are really helpful on um, the specific specialties like chapter verse reference multiple answers, chapter reference multiple answers. Um, they're very helpful on finish this, finish this in the next, um, finish these two verses. And then they can be helpful on multiple answers as well. But for all of those, merely being presented with a list of, let's say you had the exact list of the questions that might be asked at the meet. Well, there's a lot of material that you have to know for each one and you have to know the chapter. And if you're not memorizing these with like the phrases with some context, it's, it's really difficult to get them right. Um, and so it's not like this um, magic pill that you can go from getting nothing to getting two to three questions a quiz just because you looked at a list. But on the flip side, if you're like, like you've memorized a majority or all of the key verse questions, I think a list is almost imperative at that level because you can know specifically, like if I jump on two syllables and I finish this, I know 
exactly which one it will be. And if you've already memorized the verse, you can just quote it. And that kind of specific knowledge is invaluable when you're at, when you already have that memorization as a floor. Similarly, similarly for chapter verse reference, multiple answers, maybe you know that there's only one in the verse 20s of this chapter, so you can jump fast on it. Or maybe it's a really short chapter, a 12 verse chapter, and there's only one chapter reference, multiple answer. So you can actually jump on the chapter number, which you almost can never do on a chapter reference question. And so in those very specific situations, it can be such a boost. Um, but if you don't know any of the material or a very small amount, it's not going to be a lot of help for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, any other last uh, strategy pointers? Well, I'd say for me too, from a team perspective, it's still doesn't count for um, qual team qualification to district championships. So as much as possible, it's um, like a learning ground, it's a cheap teaching ground, get comfortable. Um, if you're the top quizzer on your team, it's, it's your opportunity to help your team members um, do the best that they can. Maybe if you see some areas that they're really strong in and they don't really recognize it, um, you can encourage them in that because it's, it's, a complete freebie as far as a team perspective. Now there can be individuals on the team that this meet is not a freebie for them. And so there's some very serious quizzing that has to go on, but I would feel very um, excited as a coach or um, the top, the captain of a team to say like, how can I help all of my team members and make us the strongest possible team going forward without any pressure of um, our team result for this meet? Yep. Very cool. Well, with that, I want to bid everybody adieu and have a very safe travels on the way to and then from the Madras meet. And of course, we at the podcast very much would like to hear from you. Uh, please email us your questions, comments, concerns, nagging doubts, fears, paranoia. Please email us at iq at cbqz.org. So iq for inside quizzing at cbqz.org and we'd very much like to hear from you any sort of questions you have about anything that we're doing either you know in inside uh, pnw or if you're from outside pnw uh, we'd like to hear from you as well things that you do differently we're very interested in that sort of stuff please follow us on twitter as well uh, our twitter account is at inside quizzing and with that i will wish everyone a good evening and see you in a few days at madras and since I'm sure everyone is into their district years, some of the most fun things I have talking about are the very specific situations that come up in a meet. Maybe you're a quiz master and you had a really tough ruling that you went back and forth on about in context, out of context, correct or incorrect. Um, maybe you had a really well-worded challenge um, or um, you weren't sure how to apply a um, imperfectly worded section of the rule book to a situation. Those those sorts of scenarios are ones that we can rarely foresee and they always kind of seem new and I have a lot of enjoyment talking about them. So if you encounter those, please email this, email them into us to give us the enjoyment of talking about them, whether or not you care what we say. So happy yes, listening, indeed. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right. Thanks, Scott. And thanks, everybody.